So, um, yeah, as Philip said, we're going to be wrapping up the uh, Perspectives series this morning. And um, we've been having a fantastic time going through looking at the book of 1 Peter, which is in the New Testament, and um, looking at how Peter says, looking at what he says, and how that can really help us live with a clear perspective today and um, be encouraged in the light of what our future uh, perspective looks like. So it's been really helpful, and we've, we've looked at things like how can we engage with injustice as a church? That was really helpful. And how can we, um, what, does it, what does it mean to love the church? That was really helpful. And um, then we've looked at some tough questions as well, which I think has been helpful. And today we're going to look at the whole question of leadership. How can we engage with leadership? And um, one of the things that I'm hopefully going to be able to bring out is, is the link between leadership and humility. That's one of the things today that I think God's really been speaking to me about. In fact, um, what I'd like to say today is that we're all called to humbly lead and we're all called to humbly follow. That's the kind of strap line for today. We're all called to humbly lead and we're all called to humbly follow. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, look, I'm never going to be a pastor. You know, don't switch off. This is for you. We're all called to humbly lead and we're all called to humbly follow. So um, before we get into it, a um, couple of things we just need to know. The Bible often uses picture language, doesn't it? And one picture that's very, very often used is that of a shepherd and a sheep. And it usually means a leader and some followers. So we, we talk about Jesus being a shepherd and his flock, his church, are the, are the sheep. Or we talk about a local pastor being a shepherd and the flock are the, are the people in the local church. So if you haven't seen that, that, that sort of picture language before, that's what, that, that's what that's all about. And one other thing, just to make clear as well, <clears throat> Peter says that um, he, right, right at the start of this section, he, he talks about the elders. He talks about the elders. Okay, Now, we're not just talking about the old people here. Although there are one or two people getting, getting on a bit in King's Church. No names, but uh, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about local leaders of churches. So we talk about pastors. We talk about elders. We talk about overseers. It's the same word. It means the same thing. So when he says elders, think pastor, think leader of a local church. Okay? So, um, but before we get into it, I was reading in um, the New York Times, um, in, in something from 2014, there was a really interesting article. The article was titled, How to Get a Job at Google. Google, we all know, don't we? Big company, one of the biggest companies in the world. Um, it comes out consistently top in surveys of what's the best company in the world to work for. So, how to get a job at, a job at Google caught my attention, yeah? It's pretty eye-catching. What's this all about? And... Um, the article interviewed a, a chap by the name of Laszlo Bock, which is a fabulous name. He's the, he's the senior vice president of people operations at Google. So if you don't speak American, that means head of personnel. Okay? He hires all the people. He's responsible for hiring everybody. He's the head of that organization. And he said this, one of the most important attributes we look for in every hire, that's like the most junior people or board level leaders, every hire is humility. Now, that surprised me. I wasn't expecting him to say that. I was thinking, you know, propeller heads. I was thinking bright people, entrepreneurs. No, humility. So that was interesting. And then um, I kind of started to read a bit further, and I picked up um, a, a copy of the Harvard Business Review, which is a, which is a sort of business magazine that talks about management and, and, and business and stuff. There's a bunch of articles in there at the moment about leadership and humility, coupling those two things together. And if you look at Forbes magazine, which is another businessy thing, leadership and humility, it's like it's the new buzz thing. Oh, you know, we've, we've kind of found this crazy new thing, leadership and humility. 
So, you know, it looks like the finest minds in business and management have really discovered something radically new and different. Leading-edge thinkers are telling us that to be a good leader, you need to be humble. So, leading-edge stuff. So let's see what, let's see what a fisherman 2,000 years ago wrote. Shall we see what, see what his perspective is? We're going to get it up on the screen. It's 1 Peter 5. So I'm just going to read it. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um... It's up, it's up the next verse. Uh, sorry, let me just go, go back to my notes. Um, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Good. So that's what, that's what a fisherman said about leadership and humility. And... Um, that's, that's, that's what we're going to look at, look at today. And, you know, as I was looking at this, I, I kind of concluded, really, that, um, you know, after 2,000 years, the business world is beginning to catch up with some of the truths of the Bible. Because that's what Peter was pulling out. He was saying, you can't lead if you're not humble. So when we, when we look at this today, I want to try and cover off three things, if we can. Let's see if we can do this. I want to look at what it means to humbly lead, first of all. Then I want to say... Well, how can we all apply these things to our lives, whether you're a pastor of a church, a leader of a life group, or you're not, and you're never going to be any of those things? How can we all apply these things? And then thirdly, I want to look at what it means to humbly follow as well, because we're looking at humble leadership and we're looking at humble following as well. So, first of all, what does it mean to humbly lead? The book of 1 Peter was written about AD 60. So it's about 2,000 years ago, isn't it? So if, if the New York Times had been around at that time and carried an article, Google wasn't around, so they'd have maybe carried an article that says, how to get a job as a shepherd, you know, because Google wasn't there. So I don't think it would have carried the same kind of cachet. I don't think, I don't think people would have flocked to that article. You know, <laughs> oh, I never thought this, oh, look at that. It's just natural, it just comes off that I just can't help that kind of stuff. <laughs> Let's just go with it, it's great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, people wouldn't have read that. Why? Because, you know what, shepherding has never been such a great job. It was always looked down upon. It's always been quite humble, it's always been quite lowly. So I think whoever was reading this when Peter wrote this letter, straight away they're going to go, hmm, leadership and shepherding, leadership, shepherding. I don't associate those two things. Because shepherding has always been seen as you know, a bit lowly. And, um, you know, we think, of, 
we think of leaders as being sort of quite esteemed, don't we? You know, we think of, uh, we think of Richard Branson, head of Virgin. We think of Bill Gates, head of Microsoft. We think of Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook. You know, we, th- we think of these leaders and we, we kind of put them on a bit of a pedestal and we think of shepherds and we don't put them on a pedestal. But we're going to look at three things here that, that Peter says. And I think Peter would argue that, you know, leading is a humble pursuit. If, we, if we're putting leaders on a pedestal, there's something out of kilter there. I think we're making a mistake because leading is a humble pursuit. And Peter would argue, you know, if shepherding is indeed a humble profession, then it's a suitable an- analogy when we're thinking about leaders. Yeah? So, as we look at this, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be asking the question, how can I apply this to my daily life? Like I said, if you're not a church pastor, that's okay, because I think there's good lessons for all of us here that we can take away. You know, we've talked, haven't we, about our own sphere of influence. So each of us, you know, you might be at work or at university or with your neighbours or with your family. You've each got a sphere of influence. You've got a number of spheres of influence. Who are the people that you can influence? Who are the people over whom you can exert some sort of influence? So I would say that's a great little context in which you, you, you can lead. You can take some of these messages and um, see how they, how, they, how they get applied. So... Let's have a look at this then. So first of all, in verse 2, Peter says this. He says to the elders, remember elder is pastor, it's the same thing. He says to the elders, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. So there it is. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So I was looking at that, and I was thinking about shepherding, and, and how does that work? How could, you, how could you be a shepherd under compulsion? What does it mean to be a shepherd under compulsion? And um, I realised, you know, shepherding is a largely unseen job. I mean, especially here in Kingston. When was the last time you saw a shepherd in Kingston? You don't, do you? It's an unseen job. But do you know what? If we went up to the Yorkshire Dales or the Peak District or the Lake District, you're probably not going to see a lot of shepherds there either. Because shepherding is a largely unseen job. You know, the sheep don't like being around people. They like to be on some remote hill somewhere. So the shepherd's got to be off with the sheep somewhere. It's a, it's, it's a largely unseen job. It's not, in, not in, the, in the public eye. Now, we all know the story of um, David and Goliath, don't we? David, little boy, Goliath, big giant, slingshot, gets him in the head, massive victory. Yeah. Well, let me just kind of paint a bit more of a picture around that. You see, what's happening is David is a shepherd. As we've been saying, he's a shepherd. He's out with the sheep. And his big brothers, he's the, he's the youngest of a family. His big brothers are in the army and they're fighting this, this battle. And David's stuck at home with the sheep. But David's dad says to him, David, I want you to take some food up to your brothers. Okay, and David says, fine. Leave someone with the sheep. Off he goes with the food up to his brothers. And gets to his brothers. Now what it is, you've got the the Israeli army and you've got the Philistines. And they're opposing each other. And the two lines are drawn, battle lines. And they're kind of looking at each other, staring each other out. When's when's this all going to kick off? What happens every day? Goliath, this big sort of eight, nine foot guy, comes out from the Philistines and says, right, any one of you Israelis, I'll take any one of you. Come on, it'll be you and me. Whoever wins that battle, that'll signify the battle's over. So if, 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 if I get killed as Goliath, all the Philistines will submit to Israel. If I kill the Israel guy, then all of Israel submits to the Philistines. And David saw what an offense this was. And he, he was really, oh, you know, all, the, all of the Israel army were, were terrified. And he saw what, what an offense this was. So he managed to get himself in front of the king. And he said, we've got to do something about that. And the king says, you're just a kid. You're just a kid, what are you going to do? And David says... 
well, look, I'm a shepherd, really. And time and again, a bear comes or a lion comes. And what I do is I go after them. If they've stolen one of the lambs, I go after them. And I wrestle them to the ground. I get the lamb, save the lamb. And I, and I then tear the, tear the bear apart. Or I, or I kill the lion with my bare hands. And Saul says, well, okay, go and have a go. Fine, have a go. Off David goes, and you know the rest of the story, the slingshot, fantastic victory. So what's this all about? Well, the point is that if David, when he was out shepherding, had been doing it begrudgingly, if he'd been there only because his father really forced him to do it, if he'd been there just to impress his big brothers, or just because he was following in the family footsteps, you know, when he was out of sight... I think he might have eased off a bit. You know, his big brothers are there. Yeah, I'm going to shepherd the sheep now. Yeah, that's me. I'm off. Shepherd the sheep. No one's around. I think I'll just have a little snooze. Put my feet up. Read a book. You know, if, if he wasn't doing it willingly, if he was doing it for some other reason, if he was compelled to do it for the wrong reasons, he's not going to be an effective shepherd. But you've seen how effective he is. When no one's looking, he's ripping bears apart. This is a guy who's shepherding willingly, not under compulsion. You can't shepherd under compulsion. You have to do it willingly. Because it's unseen. It's unseen. So how does that translate into the local church here? Well, pastors of local churches need to be people of integrity. They need to be pastors 24-7. Not just in meetings, not just up at the front, not when people are around, not just on the phone. They need to be pastors 24-7, not just in the public eye. They need to be pastors when it's just them on their own. They need to be pastors when it's just them and God. They can't do it under compulsion. They have to do it willingly. And that's, that's how we've always tried to do it here at King's Church. We, we, the pastors at King's Church always try and hold each other accountable. We always try and keep each other in check. How are you doing? Can I pray for you? What's your prayer life like? What about Bible readings? Are you managing to keep up with that? How's it going? We, we try and keep each other accountable. We try and maintain each other's, uh, other's integrity as we go, supporting each other. The story of um, David and the bears, it reminds me um, when, our, when, our, when our kids were very young. <clears throat> We've got four kids. Our youngest is now 20, and our oldest is 24. Thank you. Uh, just, just checking, just checking, just checking. Um, and, um, but years ago, the boys were very little. Um, so Ben would have been, I don't know, I can't remember, three and a half. Sam was maybe two. Belinda was out with the boys. Sam was at that stage where he couldn't really walk a bit, you know, and he couldn't really talk. He could talk a bit. And Ben was, ben was fine. He was off. And uh, they're going along. Belinda's got Sam in the pushchair. Ben's walking. And they get to wherever they're going, and, and Ben starts to play with his mates. And I don't know who else was there. And they're, they're kind of rough and tumble, you know. Sam's sitting there in the pushchair. And Ben gets knocked over. It was an accident. It was fine. It was all fine. It was just an accident. Ben fell over, stood up again. He wasn't harmed. But Sam saw this. He thought, oh my goodness, Ben's in trouble. So he's, he's getting his little thing off, you know, on, on his push chair. He's letting me out of this. And he kind of toddled up to this guy he thought was the perpetrator. And he said, Oi, you, a baby. This, uh, that was the most vitriolic thing he could think of to do. He was like, I'm having you, you, a baby. That was it. It was like kind of cutest infant thuggery you've ever seen. <laughs> but bless him, he thought his big brother was in trouble. You know, he was rushing to his aid. He thought he was in trouble. Why on earth am I telling you this story? <laughs> You're wondering, aren't you? Well, it's because pastors also need to defend the flock in the face of danger. They do. They need to de- defend the flock. Maybe not with those words. Okay. 
But they need to d- defend the flock in the face of danger. What's that look like? What does that look like? Well, we need to pray for you as individuals, as families, as a church. That's what we do. What else does it look like? We need to seek to give you wise counsel when you need it. That's what that looks like. We need to ensure that you're receiving pastoral oversight. We think very carefully about the best way to do that. And sometimes we need to challenge you if we think that's necessary for your well-being. So we're seeking to defend you when that's necessary. Okay? So to do any of these things, any of these things at all, pastors need to be willing. You can't do this kind of stuff under compulsion. You can't do it for the wrong motivations. You can't do it just because it's a job, even if they did pay me. <laughs> you, know, you can't do it just for the salary. You have to do it willingly. And how can you apply these things to your life? So if that's what, if that's what pastors are like. Well, I would say you apply these things to your life in pretty much the same way that pastors of a church would. Really? If you're looking for the opportunity to talk to your friends about Jesus or maybe share something from Scripture with them or maybe, maybe pray with them or something like that, you know, those little visible moments that you're going to get with your friend, it's really, it's really helpful if they're preceded by private moments with you and God. You know, if you're on your knees praying, if you're really searching into Scripture, if, if, if when it's just you and God, you're being authentic there, then those little public moments are probably going to be much more effective. That's like David and his, and his private moment and his public moment. That's like a pastor with their private moment and their public moment. If you're having private moments, private times with God, you're going to be so much more effective. Peter says, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So you need to lead yourself willingly, not under compulsion. Okay, let's move on. So Peter goes on. He says, um, he says exercise oversight, um, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, isn't it? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So you see, shepherds, it's not about an easy life, is it? It's not about a fast buck. You know, they need to focus exclusively on what's best for the sheep. They've got a perspective that's a bit wider than sheep. They're kind of looking out here. Sheep are kind of looking down here. Perspect- um, shepherds are looking out here. So, uh, I mean, to be honest, sheep are pretty well focused on where the next m- mouthful comes from. They're, they're, they're pretty simple, aren't they, sheep? Just munch, 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 munch. Shepherds are among the sheep because it says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you. And in verse 2, it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So shepherds are among the sheep, but they have a different perspective. They're not just looking down at the ground. They're looking, oh, that hill there. Oh, this cloud's coming in. Oh, there's a lion over there. Perspectives are going to be different. When I was a kid growing up, one of the um, family favorites on our TV was One Man and His Dog. Do you remember that? What a glorious program that was. I mean, yeah, there wasn't a lot to do in Ormskirk in the 70s. All right, fair enough. But um, it was a terrific program. You've got, a, you've got a shepherd there in his tweeds, and he's got this dog sitting there, and there's some sheep on a distant hill. And they go, all right, go. And he sends the dog off, and the dog rounds the sheep up and just gets them off moving, and all the sheep want to do is eat. And the dog's just kind of coaxing them along and then bringing them around the tree. And then eventually the shepherd's got a, a stick and a rope and a pen, and they get them into the pen, and it's all done. And fantastic entertainment, really. This is, that's, that's how I roll. That's just marvellous stuff. And, um, yeah... And, um, but you see the shepherd, that's his perspective. He's kind of looking out over there. He's going, where's the good grass? Where's the good grass? Where's the water? Mm, where's safety? Where are, where, where are we going to be away from lions? Where's some shade from the midday sun? That's where we're going to go. See, the shepherd's own personal preference might be different. He's all about the sheep, though. 
to his own personal preference might be, you know, the grass isn't very good over here, but what a lovely view. I think we'll stay here. That's not what shepherds do, is it? That's not what shepherds do. It's not what it's all about. So how does that translate in the, in, 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 into the local context here? Well, as pastors, we're responsible for feeding the church Feeding the church with the word of God. That's what you need. That's what we all need to, to grow. And so that part of your diet that you get here at church, that's what we're, we're, we're over. Now, some of you remember, will remember a chap called Richard Vernon, a dear friend of the church, was, uh, was a leader here um, years ago now. And um, diets, bless him, Richard tried all kinds of diets. And... Um, I remember one time he said, yeah, I've got a new diet. It's the cabbage diet. And the cabbage diet, yeah. The cabbage diet, I don't remember the details, but I think you got a cabbage and you stuck it in water and you boiled it and then you drank cabbage juice for a week or two. My goodness. I mean, I I don't know if he lost any weight, but he was so miserable on it. And um, the rest of us had a few jokes at Richard's expense, I can assure you. But... uh, but no, in terms of the diet, you know, we're, we're thinking all the time about what do we need to be feeding the church on? What do we need to be um, teaching into? Okay? So we need to make sure that you've got a healthy diet of solid biblical teaching the whole time. Again, it's not about personal preference. I know last year, Philip had a real heart to preach into um, sort of outward-looking teaching, evangelism. Wanted, wanted the church to kind of look out. But actually, praying felt a check just go, "Mm, you know what, I don't think that's what's necessarily on God's heart for this church. Let's get into that. Remember that fantastic series about um, the gospel through the kind of legal law court view? That's what we got into. So Philip's personal preference was one thing, but actually he felt God say, no, no, the best thing for King's Church is to do this series. And so that's where we went. And then right now we're in this series. Why? Because this is, this is what we think the best thing is for, for, for King's Church right now. And then next we're getting into the Ask London series, as we've seen. Because we think God's kind of opening us up a little bit and looking out a bit more. It's not about personal preference. It's about where we think God wants this church to go. What we think you need to be fed on next. Another thing that we're responsible for as pastors is direction of the church. So like those shepherds that say, yep, we're going to go over here, we're going to go over there, we're going to go onto the sunny side of the hill, we're going to go on the shady side, whatever it is. It's about vision. It's about steering. It's about direction. We want to go over here as a church. We want to go over there as a church. So as well as thinking about how we're going to feed the church, we also think about where we're going to lead the church. So they're probably the, the two things that really are sort of upfront and central for um, pastors. And you say, well, that's all very well, but how can I apply any of that to my life? I don't lead a church. Well, I'd say, um, well, let me give you one um, example from my life. I've got a friend that I see regularly. I've been, I've been tra- traveling over to the States a lot. I've got a guy there that I see all the time. He's um, a taxi driver. Every time I need a car, which is every day, give him a call. Kenny, can you give me a lift? He comes along, and he's got one of those huge, big, black sort of boy band vans, you know, and it's all shiny and it's enormous. And he's a big guy. He's, hey, Paul, my main man. He's doing all this. And I'm going, hey, Kenny, you know. Somehow when he says it, he sounds really cool. When I sound, I sound like, you know, a lame white boy when I, when I do it. And, um, but he's a lovely guy. He's a lovely guy. And we have like a half hour in the morning and we have a half hour in the evening. And we're just chatting. And I've been getting to know him over the last couple of years or so. And um, 
we, we get on ever so well. And I'm constantly just trying to get the Bible in there, just little stories, telling him about church, bought him a Bible, and we're kind of looking stuff up. I'm just dropping it into the conversation. And we're, we've got a great relationship. And, you know, he, he loves spending time with me. That's what he tells me. I love spending time with him, but just very naturally, we're just getting the Bible in. And I think that's what you can do with your friends. In your sphere of influence, where can you just be feeding the Bible in? Just get it in there, into the natural sort of warp and weft of the conversation. It works. So maybe you can be thinking about, about how you can do that this week. Yeah? So what's the third point I just wanted to raise from Peter here? So we've got... Um, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses of the suffering of Christ... Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example. So, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example. We're thinking about how to lead. Not domineering, but by being an example. I remember when I started at secondary school, I was 11, as many people were, and um, no surprises there. And um, so uh, we got to... um, Lunchtime. We got to lunchtime, and we're sitting on a table. There's eight of us on the table. There's two prefects, and there are six first-year boys. And prefects like served out the food. The prefect boys had a rather the um, the younger boys had a rather restricted diet. <coughs> Excuse me, of course. And the guy on the end of our of our table, I remember him vividly. His name was Mike. And, um, you know, he'd sit there and serve out tiny little portions to you and big portions to him. And we'd have to go and fetch and carry all the food, clear the plates, wipe the tables, blah, blah, blah. And he just sat there and just ate, as far as I could see. And um, if you ever challenged him, he'd, he'd get the big spoon that he served with and he'd go, listen, there are two ways to do this, my way and the wrong way. And that was it. All right, fair enough. So you, you didn't you didn't mess with him because after all he was he was serving out your lunch. You know you didn't you didn't get much if you hassled Mike. I learned at a very early age what domineering leadership looks like. You know he was just using his physical size and his age and the and the fact that he had the spoon to domineer. You know, not not a not a fantastic model of leadership at all. But let's have a look at what Jesus says about domineering leaders. So in um, Mark's gospel, it says this, and Jesus called them to himself. So this is Jesus with the disciples. He, he, He calls them to himself and says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. Jesus is talking about Roman rulers ruling over the non-Jews. Uh, and he's saying they kind of lord it over them. They're great, majestic rulers. This is how they rule. They're kind of, you know, domineering type of rulers. And Jesus says, it's not how it's going to be with you. You're going to be a slave. You're going to be a servant. Jesus says, conventional wisdom, I'm going to turn it upside down. But we see that so often in the Bible, don't we? Conventional wisdom gets turned upside down so often. So much of what we read challenges the status quo. It did then, and it does now. No different. He says that pastors should lead, exercising oversight, not domineering, but being an example. I think the best leader I've ever worked for um, in, in the office context was a fantastic guy. He is a fantastic guy, an inspirational leader. And how does he lead? He just leads by example. He doesn't make a big fuss. 
He's, he's the brightest guy I know. He's the most diligent guy. He's the most hardworking guy. He's creative. He's a fantastic people manager. He just gets on with it. Communication, faultless. He's, he's just, just fantastic. He just gets on with it. He just does stuff. He leads by example, and people just follow. He doesn't, he doesn't need to domineer. People just follow. I'll go, oh yeah, I want to follow him because he's so fantastic. He just serves, he just gets in there and he does it. You go, I want to work like him. I want to be like him. I want to be as creative as him. He's a fantastic leader. He, he doesn't lead domineering. He leads by being a servant. And this guy isn't even a Christian. Remarkable chap. So I want to challenge you this week. How can you have an impact on those around you in your little sphere of influence? How can you have that impact? What can you do to point people to Jesus this week? Maybe you can live as an example. It says they're not domineering, but being an example. How can you do that this week? Why don't you look for opportunities to do that? Maybe in your different circles that you've got. Living as a slave, living as a servant of others. So we're going to move on now. Um, We've looked a little bit at what it means to humbly lead. Let's look a little bit now at what it means to humbly follow. Um, So just to recap, we've looked at, you know, Peter said, you've got to exercise oversight as a leader First of all, not under compulsion, but willingly. Secondly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And thirdly, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being an example. So willingly, eagerly, being an example. So let's focus in on what uh, Jesus says and take these things that Peter says about being a humble leader. Let's look at Jesus through that lens. And also let's see what we can learn about humbly following as well. So as I said, that image of the shepherd and the sheep crops up time and again in the Bible. And um, John's gospel has Jesus saying this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. We're, of course, the sheep, followers of Jesus. And Jesus says, I lay down my life for you. He's talking about the time when he's going to be crucified. He's talking about the time when they nail him to the cross. He goes to the cross for our sins. The Bible says he dies in our place. He dies in my place. He dies in your place. He lays down his life for the sheep. And because of that terrible suffering that he undergoes, we don't need to go there. Jesus does that on our behalf. That's what that means. But interestingly, when that time comes in, 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 in Scripture, just before he gets to the point where he's being crucified, Luke's gospel says that Jesus prayed, and he prayed this. He said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So in that moment, you see the agony of Jesus, where he's facing this dreadful, dreadful punishment that's ours, he's facing it on our behalf. Just the torment in that moment. He says, Father, this is is God the Son, Jesus, praying to God the Father. He's saying, Father, can you take this from me? the, The prospect of it is just too horrible. But he says, but not my will, but your will. So even in that moment, he's kind of going, it's not about my will. I want to align myself with your will. I want, to, I, want to, I want to subject my will to your will. Even as Jesus is in that horrible moment, he willingly dies for you and me. And then we remember Peter's words again, don't we? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Jesus, Jesus realigns his will with the Father and willingly goes to the cross for us. Not under compulsion, but willingly. 
He loves us so much. Doesn't that just win your heart? Amazing. I want to be led by a shepherd who willingly gives his life for me. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Are you willing to humble yourself before Jesus and follow him this morning? Then again, in um, one of Paul's letters, he writes to the church in Philippi, describing Jesus like this. He says, Jesus has given up glory in heaven. You see, Jesus was in heaven before he came as a man on earth. He's given up that glory and become a man taking the form of a servant. And he humbled himself to be obedient even to the point of death. You see how much Jesus gave up there? He was in heaven and all the glory of heaven was his. And he said, giving that up, I'm coming down. I'm going to live as a humble guy, just a man. And then to cap it all, I'm going to die the most horrible death anybody has ever died. Do you remember what Peter said? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Jesus sacrificed so much for us just to come and live as a man. And he sacrificed so much for us to die on the cross. There's no shameful gain in that. Quite the opposite. No shameful gain at all. He gave up everything for you and me. It's the opposite, isn't it? Opposite of gain. He became the humblest, most obedient son, just eager to do the will of his father. And what Peter said, exercising oversight, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So are you eager to humbly follow Jesus this morning? And again, looking at um, Jesus, again, talking about himself in uh, Mark's gospel. He says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, he wasn't domineering. He came, as a, he came as a servant. He didn't demand our service. The contrary, he, he came as a humble servant. What did Peter say? Not domineering, but being an example. Well, that's Jesus, isn't it? Will you serve? Will you, will you, will you come today to humbly follow Jesus, to live as an example? There never was and there never will be a better example of a humble leader than Jesus. And I think, I think we'd do well to kind of respond to that and to follow. For me, I just look at Jesus, I go, I want to humbly follow that guy. I want to f- f- humbly follow Jesus. I want to humbly follow God. So, just to kind of wrap things up then if we can. Peter challenges, first of all, really, local pastors in local churches. But as we've seen, there's really good takeaways for all of us in this, I think. He'd say, pastors, you need to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And we can take lots away, even if we're not pastors of local churches, even if we don't have a little group to lead. We've all got our families, our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues, our co-workers, the people at the school gate, our classmates, our university mates, the people in the football team. We've all got spheres of influence where we can take lots of these lessons and apply them, I think. This week, let's be willing and eager examples to seek to influence those around us, shall we? I think we're all called to humbly lead. And when we look to Jesus, we see that we're all called to humbly follow him as well. So just to help us wrap this up, we're going um, to read Psalm 23 together, if we can. So it's going to come up on here, if you haven't got it to hand. 
So it's going to come up. It's um, six verses long, so I think it's going to come up in three slides. And really, really what I want to do with this is just use it as an opportunity for you to say, I'm going to respond. You know, we've looked at this, and we're going to respond now to Jesus and God and, and what he says. It's using that imagery of shepherds and sheep again. So let's just, let's just read through this. And as we do that, just in your heart, think about how you're responding to God. Okay? Let's just do this. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Good. Can we get the band back up, please? And can we get the prayer ministry over in this corner here, the prayer team? So we're going to um, worship now with some songs. Um, During that time, maybe during the songs, maybe after the meeting, I really recommend that you get some prayer over in this corner here with the excellent prayer team. And as I was preparing this, I think there's probably three different, um, there, there seem to me to be three different good reasons to get prayer today. One is, you might just want to go, you know what, I, I've loved Jesus for years, but I just want to commit myself again to this shepherd. I want to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm one of your sheep. I just want to do that because I love him and he's a fabulous shepherd. I just want to demonstrate again that I love him. So you might want to do that. The other, the other folks I think that might want to respond, you might just be a bit like a sheep on the edge of the flock. Do you know what I mean when I was preparing about this? You know, the, the, the bit about the wolves coming and the bears coming and the lions coming. You might be a sheep that's just kind of, I'm just drifting a bit. I'm just kind of taking it easy. I'm just distancing myself from the church a little bit. I don't know. But if that's you, I really think it would be a great idea to get some prayer this morning. And the other folks, I think would be, it would be fantastic for you to pray. You might be someone that's never done this before. You might be going, wow, wow, that Jesus sounds like a fantastic God. I've, I've never done this before, but I want I to say I'm all in. I want to commit my life today. I want to join this flock. I want to follow Jesus as my Lord and my shepherd. If that's you, a great thing to do would be to get some prayer. Okay? So, we're done. I'm going to hand over to Ross to lead us in worship. Thanks, Ross. Should we stand as we worship together?